Caleb was almost at the cafe when he saw the car again. An anonymous black sedan with tinted windows and a mud-spattered number plate. The third time he'd seen it since leaving his office. Hard to know if it was following him or if he was just being jumpy. 24 hours since Martin Amon's death and his adrenal system was still in overdrive. He adjusted the rear-view mirror, squinting in the dying light, one car back and holding steady. Decision time. The small shopping strip was just around the corner. Pull over or keep driving? Most of the stores would be closed at 5.16 on a Tuesday evening, not enough witnesses around for comfort. But better than none, past the shops there were only factories and warehouses. He slowed as he took the bend, then sped up and pulled into the curb, door half open, eyes on the mirror. The black sedan rounded the corner. It drew nearer, headlights off, the driver a hazy silhouette. Closer, nearly level, passing. It kept going, the brake lights flashing once as it reached the next bend, then it was gone. Caleb breathed again, just someone taking the same traffic-avoiding route across town, Nothing to do with him or a dead man with his face shot off. He sat for another moment in the rapidly cooling car, then got out and headed for Alberto's place. The small cafe fronting the street was closed, but the kitchen staff would still be hard at it, readying orders for shops and hotels across Melbourne. He ducked down the laneway to the back of the old red brick building, but stopped outside the glass door. The kitchen's high ceiling was deep in shadow, the only light coming from candles, torches and phones set around the room. They were propped on shelves and benches, their combined wattage illuminating every hand movement and expression of the workers inside. Six people, all managing to carry on signed conversations as they cooked, their Auslan only slightly hampered by their latex gloves. Weekend plans and boyfriends, grandchildren, fitness regimes. Alberto Conti prowled among them, his hands never resting as he issued instructions and tasted dishes. Caleb shoved his hearing aids in his pocket and opened the door, moved into silence and warmth. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. The central character in Emma Viskich's crime series is Caleb Zellick, a private investigator with a knack for noticing and interpreting subtleties in human behaviour. In his line of work, Caleb has dealt with his fair share of danger, dead bodies and double crossings. He also happens to be deaf. Set in Melbourne, the first two Caleb Zellick books have won a slew of plaudits. The prestigious Ned Kelly Award for Best Debut, iBooks Australia's Crime Novel of the Year and an unprecedented trio of David Awards. Not just an award-winning author, Emma Viskich is also a classically trained clarinetist who has played in the orchestra for Phantom of the Opera, in arenas with Jose Carreras, and at an engagement party that ended in a brawl. Emma, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I want to talk about books I do, but I have to know what happened at this engagement party. 
look, there was a bit of alcohol involved, there was an ex-boyfriend involved, and it had nothing whatsoever to do with the clarinet playing. Right, good. (laughs) That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Nice. Well, back to books. The first Caleb Zellick title, Resurrection Bay, was a commercial and critical runaway. Your follow-up thriller, And Fire Came Down, was published to similar praise and popularity. And now book three. How are things with Caleb at this stage in the series? Well, at the beginning of the book, they're pretty good. Um, He's had a rough couple of years with betrayals and murders and um, relationship breakdowns, but he's feeling pretty positive. He's in therapy. He's starting to reconnect with his ex-wife. And he's also reconnecting with the deaf community, which he hasn't been involved in since his school years. So he's putting on a very positive attitude. Um, Things go downhill pretty quickly (laughs) when a potential client is murdered and that forces him back into contact with his ex-business partner, Frankie, who has previously betrayed him. Um, And when her niece is kidnapped because of his involvement, um, Caleb and Frankie has to to, uh, join forces to uh, save the girl's life. Right, yeah. So that's former Sergeant Francesca Reynolds. That's right. Um, And they were not just partners, they were friends and confidants. Um, And she was mostly absent from the previous book. So how do you think readers are going to react to her return? I think with very strong emotions. (laughs) Um, Frankie does uh, cause people to feel feel very strongly. Um, I think a lot of people really, really enjoy reading her her, um, character because she's she's an older woman. She's 58 now. She's very... I'm going to say cranky, but she's very opinionated, but she's also very caring towards Caleb in a very sibling-like way. Um, They rub each other up the wrong way, but support each other very much like siblings. Um, And I I think in in some ways uh, she's a really good foil for him as well. Mm, Definitely. And the series is all written in the third person, but still from Caleb's perspective. And he, as you spoke about before, um, is a member of the deaf community and he's a skilled lip reader um, who mostly speaks English, but he also signs with people who are closest to him. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So um, Caleb very much moves between the hearing and the deaf worlds, um, mainly lives in the hearing world because he's even though he's quite the outsider, he does want to belong um, and his upbringing has, has made him want to belong to the hearing world. But he signs with those he's closest with. So anyone who is close to him in his life has learnt at least a little bit of Auslan along the way and his ex-wife is, is quite fluent in mm-hmm. it. And you yourself had to train and study in Auslan when you were writing Resurrection Bay, is yeah, that Yeah, that's right. I still learn it. Um, I still study it, um, not as intensely as I did. Um, yeah, I, I started off thinking I would just go to a few lessons and, and get a feel for it. I wasn't even sure if he was going to use sign language. I knew he had to be a, a good lip reader because otherwise he'd need an interpreter with him and that wouldn't work as an investigator. Um, so I did a lot of research about lip reading and, and tried to learn it myself and, you know, did things like walking around with earbuds in my ears oh and things and, and found I was spectacularly bad at it. Um, 
but I, I also knew that some people are incredibly skilled at lip reading and Caleb was obviously going to have to be one of those people. So sign language was one of those um, wonderful discoveries where I thought maybe he'll sign and then I started learning it and thought, well, this is fantastic. It'll show him free and easy. It can show that the people he's close to are close to him. So it became a real, um, a really lovely side of his personality and, and journey and, and mine as well. Mm, definitely. And you had some of your... Um book launches and book events you've had an interpreter there alongside you yeah yeah that's Great. right so I've had Auslan interpreters there's lots of them and I was I was actually at the um Edinburgh Festival last year and they had a BSL a British Sign Language interpreter oh, there great. for the event as well yeah nice and what has the response been from the deaf and hard of hearing community it's been great actually um it's been 100 percent positive so far. Um, I think when you, when you write from outside your own perspective, you've got to be open to criticism and no doubt it'll come at some stage. But um, yeah, I get emails and, and messages um, quite quite often from, from people in the deaf and hard of hearing communities. It's, yeah, it's been lovely. Because a lot of a lot of the time characters with disabilities tend to fall to the to the wayside in fiction or they tend to be vulnerable or supporting characters and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it tends to be um, about overcoming their disability or they're the victims. Mm. Um, so in my reading around writing Resur- Resurrection Bay, I, I really came across not that many deaf characters or, or disabled characters, but they were definitely victims or um, lesser because of their, their disability. Whereas with Caleb, it's, it is a weakness, but it's also incredible strength for him as well. Definitely. Um, and we heard you read in that extract at the beginning about Alf- Alberto's Cafe, mm. which is in Melbourne. There's a deaf community cafe on St Kilda Road in Melbourne called Trade Block Cafe. I wonder, was that a source of inspiration? Did you know about the cafe? Yeah, I've, I've been there quite a few times. Oh, right. um, it was. I, I rarely get direct inspiration from my writing, but Trade Block Cafe was definitely one of them. And Trade Block, all the uh, workers there are deaf. Um, and to go in there and sign, you have to use Auslan. But they have little pictograms on how to sign all the different drinks and foods if, if you don't know um, how to sign. So it's lovely. And it's a real community hangout for the... Um, it's in the grounds of the School for the Deaf. So mm. a lot of the families um, hang out there too. Excellent. Yes. So did you go do some field work there? Uh, when I was studying Auslan, um, we went there for the first time as, as a class. And then I've, I've just gone back a few times because it's a lovely place to hang out. And they make a great long black too. <laughs> <laughs> and interesting that you chose to write about a soundless world because you're a musician. As a skilled classical musician, sound is a is a big part of your life. What's it like to write about a soundless world? It's actually been fantastic. I almost didn't write his character um, because I was, that was one of the aspects I was worried about. I was worried about representation um, and I was worried about the technical aspects of writing speech or sign. Um, but it's actually become, been a, a really great learning experience. It's made me far more visually observant because I am, as you say, a classical musician. So my whole world is around sound and has for many, many years been about the nuances of sound. Um, but it's made me see things a lot more clearly. I notice things a lot more. Um, but the great thing with Caleb is it's made him incredibly observant as well. I've made him far more observant than I would have a hearing character. And it's actually made dialogue more important too because he has to concentrate so much um, when people are talking. So it, it's actually, it, it's well, like his own deafness is both a strength and a weakness. It 
both makes things easier and harder for me to write, particularly a crime novel because it really ramps up the tension um, when he doesn't know if people are behind him or is missing important clues. Absolutely. And you've said that um, to you, words are just a different kind of music. That's a direct quote. Wow, that was that sounds <laughs> really beautiful. smart of me. I'm so glad you quoted that because I don't remember saying it. Uh, what is the relationship between music and writing? Uh, with me, incredibly close. Um, so I think on the larger level of story of um, tension and release. So when you have a whether it's a short piece of music or a symphony. Um, there are moments of great tension, there's moments of, of build-up and then there's moments of silence. Mozart um, famously said that the music is in the silence between the notes and I think that's often true of writing. You have to build to a, a really tense moment and then don't quite <laughs> do anything with it. So there are those, those um, moments of, of withholding information as well. You don't dump all the backstory of a character in the first page you just ease it out feel the whole thing um and then on a finer level um the language of music is incredibly uh, the music of language I should say is um very poetic so when you write a sentence you feel the rhythm are there too many words in that are there too few um should I have a long sentence here because I've just had a short one so um the, the act of writing is is a very musical experience for me and yeah. I read everything out loud too. So oh, I, do you? yeah, absolutely. Which is I know ironic with a deaf character, <laughs> but yeah, multiple times I, I read everything out aloud. Interesting yeah. to hear the cadence. To, to feel the... it, funnily right. enough, it, it's more of a feeling of it um, that you can feel. Oh, there's there's one too many syllables in that sentence, or I've had five sentences in a row with with eight syllables in mm. them. Um, so you start um, feeling when things are, are right and when they're wrong. Yeah, pacing, mm. absolutely. Interesting. Um, well, a bit of a pivot, uh, but I was scrolling through your social media in, in preparation for this <laughs> <Uh-oh>. interview, <laughs> and there's lots of photos of um, of other people in the Australian crime writing community, and it seems like quite a tight-knit mm. gang, uh, lots of festivals and panels together. I'm curious, what are some of your best memories hanging out with fellow crime writers? Well, most of them I probably shouldn't be on public record admitting to. <laughs> um, the, the, the Australian crime writing um, community is really um, supportive. It's mm. it's a really lovely community to be part of. I think um, I'm incredibly lucky to be part of it, actually. Uh, I've never heard of any fallouts with anyone, mm. which is possibly a bit disappointing for people to hear, actually. You probably want to hear about, yeah, you know, knives out drama, and yeah. Yeah, drama. <laughs> Um, but I've, I've just got back from a three-week tour of the United States with three other Australian crime writers. Um, I went over with Jock Sarong, Solari Gentle and Robert Gott um, with the uh, funding from the Australia Council nice. uh, to promote our books and also Australian crime fiction. Um, and three weeks on the road with three other people, um, I was really expecting some tense moments. At least uh, a few tiffs. None. Nada? None. I'm so sorry. Not a oh, single man. one. Yeah. How do you pass the time on those long trips together? Um, oh, well, look, I mean, we were, we were talking in bookshops and at, at um, conventions and things a lot. And then I think we were um, talking a lot about, with, amongst ourselves, about what we were seeing and what we were experiencing and how it was different to what we'd expected and how it was exactly what you'd expect after a lifetime of watching American television mm. and movies. 
Oh, there you go. Um, so that was, was that your first trip over there? Yeah, it was. Oh, I'd never been to the States before. Nice. Uh, what does Solari Gentle snack on on her road trips? Well, we bought some amazing lollipops with uh, scorpions in them. Oh, God. I'm not entirely Classic sure she ate that. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of overseas, your books have been published worldwide in places like the US and Poland and the Netherlands. Um, how do overseas readers respond to your books, which are quite Australian, very distinctly yeah, Australian? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. I had sort of assumed they'd never be published overseas um, because they are, I think, quite Australian in that uh, there's the obvious setting, um, but I think my dialogue and the relationship between my characters is very Australian. There's that banter I was talking mm. about, the that, that way that when people are close to each other, particularly... Um, brothers and and Caleb has a brother Anton um that they show their closeness by smacking each other down Mm. and that that really what's the worst insult I can say to show I love you um and I wasn't sure how that would translate overseas and quite literally when I'm talking about translations um but people seem to have really taken to it so I think maybe Australian crime fiction is is having a bit of a moment out outside Australia and and people are open to some different voices um, so I think that's probably helped quite a lot. Yeah what do you have any insight into why that might be why Australia is gaining so much traction particularly uh, in crime? A lot of people are, are, are coming up with um, lots of different theories and we're all thinking about this and, and, and it's it's hard to know exactly but I think perhaps two things have made a difference. One is that books like um, Jane Harper's The Dry has, have helped really open a door and people have gone oh Australian crime fiction, what else is there? And then we have this amazing um, cohort of great writers at the moment and they're coming off the back of years of work of people like um, Sisters in Crime and the Australian Crime Writers Association um, and you're going back to writers like Peter Corris, um, Morel Day and Peter Temple and they've just they've, they've been writing for years and years and Gary Disher... Um, and so there's been this great well of writers and the next generation have come along and there's a lot of people out there writing some really good quality stuff. Yeah. And are you, you sound like you're a big reader of Australian crime fiction. Do you read it almost exclusively? Are you quite a... No, I read a lot, but no, no mm. way um, am I exclusive. I, I read everything. I read everything from poetry to, um, yeah, thrillers, yeah. Um, the only thing I don't read is horror because I scare easily. <laughs> Just no, interesting. really sad to admit for because I write quite dark crime, but yeah. yeah, there's something about supernatural horror that just absolutely spooks you. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, but ev- everything else from yeah literary to um, a, a good John le Carre to mm. yeah to yeah. Lee Child, I'm, I'm in there. Nice. Know, yeah. Well, because we're good reading magazine, we often like to ask authors what they are reading at mm-hmm. the moment. What's on your bedside table at the moment? Oh, my bedside table is is, is about a, a thousand books high. Yeah. <laughs> I have just started Elizabeth Strout's All of Again because uh, she's one of my absolute favourite writers. And then, and I'm, I'm only like a chapter in, but I'm loving it. And after that will be Heather Rose's Bruni, ah. um, which I'm really looking forward to. We spoke to Heather. There you go. Yeah, um, I'm, it sounds like it's a great terrific. book. Yeah. Formidable, awesome. Well, speaking of formidable, your books are incredible and you were talking about the energy and, and the, um, the way that you build your sentences. But interestingly, you've also spoken a lot about failure and self-doubt as mm-hmm. a writer. 
Um, and you've said, another direct quote from you, it's <laughs> coming back <laughs> to haunt you, that you owe a lot of your success to failure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think I was lucky in that my first career was as a musician. Because when you pick up an instrument, you are bad. <laughs> you are bad. There's just no way around it. It doesn't matter how naturally talented you are. And I'm going to say that when you play a clarinet, you are particularly bad because squeaky. yeah, that yeah. clarinet, <laughs> squeaky loud sound, there's just no getting away from it. But you can also, well, hear and see that as you practice, you get better. Um, and that what was hard six months ago is suddenly easy and you've got some technique under your belt. Um, and so I, I've always written, but I didn't start writing with a, a view to other people reading it. Um, until I was, you know, in my 30s. But I knew that I had to be bad for a very long time and just write, um, write a lot, write those 20,000 hours worth of um, bad novels and bad novellas um, and then slightly better and then a little bit better and just building on it. So I think I was um, very clear on the fact that I wasn't going to sit down and write a masterpiece straight off. Um, and yeah, I, I wrote two full-length manuscripts before um, Resurrection Bay, <laughs> before I started Resurrection Bay, and no one will ever see them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one oh, day. Oh no, I don't think so. Helen Garner just released her diaries, so you know. Well, <laughs> mine have got burn upon my death yeah. written Actually, on them. I think yeah. she said that she burnt all of her diaries up until she was thirty or something. And that she doesn't regret it. <laughs> That's a loss for us, but I totally, yeah, I, I'm totally understand. on her yeah, side. <laughs> um, well, I was speaking about Facebook um, and there was one particular post on your Facebook that stood out to me and probably to your readers as well. It was an espresso maker perched on the coals <laughs> of a campfire with the caption, working on Caleb Zellick number four with the help of some extra strength bush coffee. Two questions. Mm -hmm. One, is camping a part of your writing process? And two, what can you tell us about book four? Mm. Coffee is a part of my everything process. Mm -hmm. So I don't go anywhere without coffee. So I took coffee and an AeroPress to America because okay. I, I knew that there'd be moments where I couldn't get coffee and actually that was three weeks worth. Um, so yes, camping is, it is a part of my writing process actually. I don't always write when I camp, but um, I, I find it really clears my brain to be out in the bush um, and I even just a couple of hours somewhere walking can make a big difference but if I can stay overnight then you just get this really empty brain which mm. you need for writing. Caleb 4 and Caleb 4 is in the works. It's early days. I'm wondering what new terrible things I can do to Caleb but I've got some pretty good ideas. That's exciting. And I have one final, very important question. What's your beef with mangoes? Mangoes are slime and should <laughs> not be classified as food. <laughs> you heard it here, guys. <laughs> well, Emma, thank you so much for chatting with me. This has been so much fun. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. Cheers. Go get your hands on Darkness for Light by Emma Visick. You can get it at Good Reading's website, goodreadingmagazine.com.au and at all good bookshops.